What's up, guys? How you doing? Good morning. How was that? Like Mosley? Oh, I, I appreciate that, man. I'll take I'll take that any day of the week, as long as I don't fight like him. Um, what's up, guys? It's a lot more of you this time. How you guys doing? Doing all right? All right, man. If you know, um, I like to. Sing. Either I got really big ears, or this thing is probably big ears and a big head. Okay. All right, much better. <sighs> All right, guys. So check this out. I uh, Before I speak, before I get going, um, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says we should enter into his courts with thanksgiving. And so I really take that seriously, and I believe that it really sets the tone for our time together and how we see me sharing with you today from the Holy Scriptures as a time of worship. And so the only reason why we're here I would hope is because ultimately we are so, so grateful for what God's done in our life, right? And this is just a simple expression, a few believers gathering together just to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I hope that you do something in my life this morning that's going to make me better off for the week, make me a better light to the community, a better light to our family. So uh, so right now, we're just going to enter into a time of gratitude meditation before we start. It was crazy. I was literally sitting right over there. Like, man, this brother is anointed to worship. I mean, he is just incredible. When he was singing, man, he is awesome. And so, and so when he just, when he started singing Cast Your Cares in the Almighty, man, I'm over here, you know, crying, and I'm, just, I'm worshiping God, and I'm just like, man, I cast all my cares on you. Thank you, God, for everything you're doing in my life. And it was just, it's like I let my guard down for like a second. And before you know it, I mean, my posture changed. I started getting all rigid, and before you know I'm thinking about bills, I'm thinking about things I have to pay, I'm thinking about student loans, I'm thinking about how am I going to get this stuff all together, and so you guys got to know that there is a spiritual battle that's happening, and the fact that you're here, there's someone that really, really doesn't like it, there's someone that is so angry, man, I'm telling you, I didn't think about this stuff for weeks, and literally right before I'm about to get on stage, I'm just getting hit with worry after worry, doubt after doubt, question after question, so let's just put all that aside together. Ask, go ahead and just close your eyes real quick. And if you would, just take a really, really deep breath in for me. Exhale. Just one more big, deep breath. Exhale. And as you're sitting there, I just want you to start brainstorming everything that you can say thank you for. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for my family. Thank you for providing. Thank you for being beautiful. Thank you for all of your wonders in every part of the day. Thank you for being gracious enough to bring me here. It's only because of you, Lord, that we are breathing right now. So thank you for that. Thank you for another chance. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you can, try and get it down to one word, one person, whatever that is for you this week, the thing that you're most thankful for. And in your own special way, whether it's lifting your hands, whether it's just saying thank you, but just let God know how much you appreciate him.
So Lord Jesus, we ask that you meet us in this place this morning. We ask that you move in a mighty way. I'm willing and I'm ready for you to speak through me. Um, so be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right. I'm going to be in Luke 4 this morning. If you guys want to join me there. If not, you know, you can open up your Bibles anywhere. It's all good. So, But I'll be in Luke 4. So, you know, I'm, I think I think I'm kind of young. I don't know, maybe, but I'm getting I'm getting older. I know that. And about seven, almost eight months ago, this morning, a few friends and I started a new church, and we started in downtown Pomona for an area that we thought had a lot of need. And so, the past eight months of my life has just been just an all-out grind of trying to put something brand new together, trying to get new leaders together, new people together, trying to get you know mission statements and visions. And I had no idea this stuff would take so much energy, so much time, so many sleepless nights. And so, you know, <laughs> it's a blessing to be in a new place this morning. So, so thank you for having me, just to just kind of just relax and a time for me to just, you know, sow into some other people. But... Tonight, at around 7 p.m., I will be heading back home to my church where I'm at every single Sunday night, and I'll be there with the people that I've seen, the people that I'm sowing into, and the people that we're equipping as leaders, and uh, the ministries that we're involved with, and I'll be back there, you know, sleeping and making our own coffee, and, you know, praying for people, and, you know, we're going to go through that whole routine because... That is my home church. That's my home community. Members of my family go, goes there. My girlfriend goes there. Uh, my friends go there. Um, that's my home. That's, that's my home. And so there's a certain excitement that comes from being away from home, and there's a certain seriousness that comes from going home. And in Luke 4, we see Jesus expressing and getting ready to share a similar sentiment. He is just now off of his 40 days in the wilderness where it was just him and God. And he was tempted and he was pushed and he starved and he made a commitment that he was going to make his way towards Jerusalem and he would carry out God's vision for his life. He went up there a young man, but he came back down a man. He came back down someone that was so committed to his calling and so committed to what Christ, to what God wanted to do in his life. But as he's coming down the mountain... He begins to minister in a whole bunch of other places that are outside of his home in Nazareth. He begins to talk and he begins to you know, stir up crowds and he starts to grow a little following. People are so passionate. People are so engaged to what Jesus is talking about. It's like, man, tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. This guy is so new. This guy is so fresh. Like, where is this guy from? I want to know everything about this guy, Jesus. And in Luke 4, he gives us an account of Jesus' first experience going back home. Of Jesus' first experience going back to seeing his old friends and going back to seeing his old relatives and going back to seeing the people that have known him since he was a young kid and what that meant and everything that happened in this encounter. So I'm going to be in Luke 4, 14. So Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of 
of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And they begin by saying to him, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? This is so key because Jesus, he pulls out a typical Jewish scripture and, and he reads it. And it's kind of like if uh, you know we were to pass around the Bible and someone were to stand up and say, you know, for God has a plan to prosper me and God has a plan to make my future bright, we would all be like, no, he's so sweet. Like, that was such a sweet verse. Like, thank you for sharing. He does have a plan to prosper us. Like, that's so amazing. Thank you so much, Judy. That's awesome. So you say, hey, isn't that Joseph's son? Like, hey, that's, hey, that's Joseph's son. Hey, he's back. We haven't seen him for years, man. How, how's he doing? Good, good. Oh, man, look at him coming up in the Word. He, he's, he's known so much. He's such a young man now. We're so you know, proud that he stayed on the path and he didn't waver off. This is amazing. Oh, man, all spoke well of him. Jesus, welcome home. Welcome home. But the next part in that passage is something that most churches never talk about. It's something that never gets shared. It's something that never gets looked at. I'm, not, I'm still not exactly sure why. But it's so crazy and it's so audacious that I just can't ignore it. I can't ignore it. So Jesus said to them, after he's getting all their compliments, and he's still standing up in the middle of their synagogue, and he says to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And they were many in Israel with leprosy. And in the time of Elijah the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. I'm going to stop right there just to make sure you guys are tracking with me. So Jesus stands up and he says, back in Israel they used to have a prophet that would preside over a tribe for a certain amount of time. Okay, And the prophet was kind of their leader. This was before they had... Um, kings at the time. This was before they had a political system. And so the prophet was the president. He was the king. He was the one who got direct downloads from God and shared them with the people. The prophet was everything. And so Jesus is saying, when you had Elijah, the prophet, the leader of Israel, you never sent him out outside of Israel to minister the good news of God. 
you never sent him outside of our walls to go and care for the poor and go and care for the sick and go and care for those who need it. He said, instead, you sent him to some widow in one of our own provinces that didn't even need anything. Basically, Jesus is saying when he says, I'm here to proclaim the good news to the poor. I'm here to set the captives free. This is Jesus' giant declaration when he comes back to his own town and says, it is no longer just about us. It's now also about them. He says, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, you all have held this Torah so tightly. And it said, no one can read it unless you're Jewish, unless you look like us, unless you think like us, unless you act like us, unless you walk like us, unless you wear our garb, you don't get to know the goods of this Torah. But Jesus comes back and he says, now this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says, right now, this message is going to go from being about us to now it's going to go to being about all of us. It's not a message just for you old guys anymore. It's not. This is a good news for everyone. I'm taking it outside of our city walls. I'm taking it past the places that we usually go to. I'm taking it to the people that really need it. I'm taking it to the poor. I'm taking it to the prisoners. I'm taking it to the lost. I'm taking it to the hungry. I'm taking it to the hopeless. I'm taking it to people who don't look like and who don't act like us. This message is for everyone. And Jesus is sitting up here telling these old Jews these things. He's saying it's no longer just about us. Remember, these are his friends. This is his family. This is the people he grew up with. Hey, isn't that Joseph's son? They know him well. And their response to Jesus' statement is incredible. Verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. How in the world could you go to, hey, isn't that Joseph's son, to within a moment literally trying to kill the Son of God? I mean, literally, I mean, it would be, literally, it's like me staying up here and saying something that would be so offensive to you that all of a sudden you guys start, I'm like, hey, whoa, wait, what's going on here? Whoa, hey, all right, yeah, hug time. No, yeah, kill him. Like, it's the same, like, it'd be like if you guys tried to go throw me off the 10 freeway right now and you guys all carried me. It was like, what on earth? I'm reading that, what on earth did Jesus say to these guys that got them so How could you evoke such hatred in just a moment's time? How could you piss someone off that bad that they'd want to kill the person that they apparently know and love? One of our ex-presidents said that the worst four-letter word in the English language is them. Um, Not us, but them. It's, it's those guys. It's the ones on the outside. It's the ones that we don't know. Them. It's them. It's them. And when Jesus started talking about them, it evoked emotion in them that was so strong that it stirred something in them so bad that they tried to kill the Son of God. Um, 
My question for us this morning is, what did you bring to church with you today? These old Jews, they thought they brought knowledge. They thought they brought obedience. I would would assume most of them even thought they brought love to church with them that morning. But they had no idea that they were all carrying spirits in them that was capable of killing Jesus. When we're done here tonight, I hope that we can, this morning, I hope that we can ask ourselves the question, am I carrying with me an attitude and a spirit that will move the message of Christ forward in my family and in my communities, or am I holding something onto something so tight that it's capable of killing the very message of Jesus Christ? And these guys thought they had it all together. These guys thought that they had all the answers. They thought that they were living right. They thought, they thought, they thought, and within a moment, they tried to kill Jesus. When I was, uh, I was at a church about five years ago, and the pastor was talking, and he was kind of giving his, his huge you know, eight-point plan as to everything of what's wrong with our country and what's wrong with the youth. And so he starts going all over here about everything they're teaching in colleges, and he starts talking about the way women are dressing, and he starts talking about dating, and you know he starts talking about all these things that we've never heard before, right? So he's up there, and he begins to talk about this one word, and he says it over and over and over again. And he says, this is the word that is killing our country. This is the word that is killing families. This is the word that's ruining our faith. He said the word is tolerance. And he said, I'm so sick and tired of colleges preaching tolerance. I'm so sick and tired of other people talking about being tolerant. And he said, if we want to move forward as a church, if we want to move forward as a faith, we're going to have to learn to be intolerant of other people and their beliefs. And I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm, I'm younger at the time, and, you know, he's an incredible speaker, and he's making good points, and, you know, he's sitting there, and I start going like, yeah, maybe I am a little too tolerant. You know, get away from me, you know. And I'm like, yeah, okay, this is starting to make a little sense. I can see how, you know, certain things are starting to mess with our, our way of life. And, okay, so we can't, you know, we have to focus more on exclusion and, you know, be kind but be mean somehow. And, okay, so, yeah, yeah, we can do this. And he closes by saying, you know, they are going to preach, you know, tolerance in school. And they're going to continue to preach tolerance in college. And before I knew it, I was in one of my classes and the teacher goes up there and they start talking and uh, halfway through the lecture, she says, you know, the answer to, you know, being loving, the answer to being a Christ follower is tolerance. And I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> saw that coming, you know. <laughs> and she goes on to talk about how we should be tolerant towards other people and tolerant towards other faiths and tolerant towards other ways of life. And so that, those two juxtaposition of those words stuck with me for a long time. And then something changed two summers ago when my dad and I went on a trip to New Orleans. If you've never been there, uh, New Orleans is a beautiful city. It's so much stuff to do there, nightlife. A lot of our family's from there. And for some reason, if you're asking someone for directions, everything is always next to the river. Um, you know, it's like, hey, uh, where's the uh, nearest, nearest store? Well, you're going to go up three blocks. And before you get to the end, you're going to make a right. 
And then your location is going to be right next to the river. You know, I'm like you've said that like ten times now. So I spent a lot of time by the river. Uh, and about halfway through the trip, my dad and I were really enjoying each other. We're having a we're having a good time. But as we're spending more and more time together, you know, same hotel room, you know, eating together, you know, at same restaurants all day, driving around the same rental car all day, we start to realize how horribly obvious it is that there's so much tension between us. That there's just so much stuff that we're not saying. How's dinner? Good. How's yours? Good. You know? And we just knew that there was so much under the well that we hadn't discussed and that we hadn't talked about. And we ended up going to one lunch and then it just kind of all blew up and we started talking about things from years about how he thought that I had hurt him and I was describing where I thought he had hurt me. And so I, we get back. My buddy asks, hey, how was the trip? I said, I'll put it to you this way. You know, my dad and I have a counseling appointment next week. So it wasn't the best. Um, so my dad and I were sitting in the therapist's office. Therapist sitting here. And my dad and I are sitting here. So we still have to maintain some level of masculinity, right, that we're even here so we, you know, we can't look at each other. You know, we have to, like, look straight at her, right? So are you like, are you getting emotional? No, I'm not. Okay, cool. Um, so we're talking, and I'm sharing, and the therapist looks at me, and she goes, Justin, if I hear you correctly, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But it sounds like you're describing that you feel like you're being tolerated by your dad. And I thought about it for a while, and I said, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. You know, I, I feel like he, you know, all this, I feel like he just kind of just tolerates me. And she looks at me dead in the face, and she says, Justin, no one ever wants to feel tolerated. And it just went straight to my heart. And I said, man, of course not. Nobody at their best ever wants to feel tolerated. Yeah, come over, come over. You know, have a seat. You know, don't, don't eat my food. Don't, don't touch anything, but just sit, sit right there. I'm not going to look at you. I'm not going to engage you, but just sit. Yeah, a homeless person can walk right in here right now. He, he can sit over there in the back, stink up the whole place. No one's going to look at him. He, he can be here, but we're, gonna, we're just going to tolerate his existence. And she said, nobody wants to be tolerated. The idea I want to leave you with this morning is that we would move past intolerance, we would move past tolerance, and that we would embrace a Christ-centered spirit of acceptance. It's not about tolerance. It's not about intolerance. It's about acceptance. Sometimes it's so crazy to me how we got the passage, come to me, everyone wrong. (laughs) Christ said, I want all of you. I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your story is. I don't care what your past is. Come to me, all of you, and I will give you rest. A message like that makes people very mad. A message like that can make people very, very upset. That I don't care who you are, I still believe that God loves you. I don't care about the choices that you're making right now. You might be making some bad choices, but based on the Bible of 1 John 4, it says that God is love, 
and that I'm obligated to love you no matter what you decide to do with it. That's the type of message that can start a 2,000-year-old movement. That's the type of message that will eventually get you killed if you keep preaching it long enough. A buddy of mine, uh, he's like a life coach of the stars, right? So he's meeting with a bunch of celebrities and, you know, all the high-end guys, and he helps them get off drugs and helps them get kind of back on the right path. And so he hosts this, like, super, you know, super pretentious, bougie event in Hollywood once a month. And it's kind of like an opportunity for, you know, the celebrities who are too cool to be seen in church, for them to, like, come out and worship together. So uh, I was talking to him uh, about a month ago, and he was like, yeah, you know, there's, there's like, a really big um, celebrity that's coming in, and, you know, we're all kind of really excited. It's really, really hush-hush. And, you know, I mean, I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, that's fine. And so... I ended up going, and when I walk in, I see him up there preaching, and in the front row is Kanye West, right? He's sitting in the front row, and he's just like, he's got his Bible open, and he's just like completely engaged to everything this guy's saying. And he's just, oh man, tell me more, tell me more. And he's giving him feedback, and I'm like, everybody's like, yo, that's Kanye West. Like, are you kidding? Like, he's sitting in the front row. That's nuts. There's like 20 people in this place. I'm like, this is insane. And so after the service, I'm talking to my buddy, and he's just like, yeah, you know, we had such a great turnout. And, you know, Kanye came, and he said that, you know, really made a huge impact in his life, and he's going to look at some of the decisions he's making and some of the lyrics he's saying, and it's just like, man, he could influence a whole generation for good, and it's just incredible. And the next day, I get a call from my buddy, and he is just in tears, and he is in a rage. And he is just so upset. He's calling me saying, I mean, I can't do this anymore. He's like, I'm so tired of this. I'm so sick of this. When are they going to learn? When are they going to learn? When are they going to get it? This can't be it. This can't be the way. And he was so mad because he checked his Facebook that morning, and they had posted a picture of Kanye West at the event, and it was over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments of, how dare you let that person in there? Of how dare you let him be around us Christians? How dare you? Don't you know what he's doing to our youth? Don't you know what he's about? Don't you know that he's a part of all these secret clubs? Don't you know what he stands for? Don't you? He's killing the whole, he's killing everything. Kanye West has never, ever been back to that Bible study. I want you to imagine a circle of compassion. And then imagine nobody standing outside of that circle. the biggest challenges of our life is getting to a point where you could humbly accept that God's love might be big enough for you. And if it's big enough for you, I think it may be big enough for Kanye West. I was in Africa about three years ago, and I was in the most remote part of this country. And so during the slave trade, uh, there's a huge population of Ghanaians who literally flood up into the hills because they were so scared about what was going on near the water. And they've literally been up there for four and five hundred years, and they don't speak English, and they're living off the land, and, you know, it's out there. And so when I went with my team... We were literally sharing the gospel to people that had never, ever heard it before. And it was just, it was the most incredible experience of my life. The most life-giving thing 
I've ever done. And on one of the nights, uh, we have night crusades every night, and on one of the nights, we uh, literally had to build a road to get up to this one village. And so we're on the van, and we got like 40 people on the van. People are sitting on top, and we're singing out worship songs, and we're rocking back and forth like this, and there, there's monkeys, and there's like antelopes running around everywhere. And it's just, it's insane. And so we're going up to pick up these uh, bunch of kids to take them to the big crusade location that we're having. And so as we're approaching the village, man, kids just start to jump on the van, and kids just start to jump on the back. They're jumping inside. I have like six kids just sitting on top of me. And I saw this one kid named Bright, and he had kind of become my favorite kid throughout the whole trip, and so uh, he would come down to kind of the mainland where we were staying, and he'd go back up into his village. And so I'm on the van, and I'm looking, I say, hey, has anyone seen Bright? Has anyone seen Bright? This is his village, like he's supposed to be here. Where's Bright? Has anyone seen Bright? And I started screaming, Bright, 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 where you at, man? Bright, where you at? So our leader said, no, we have to get going, we have to get going, we have to make it in time. And right before the bus pulls off, I hear like a loud bang on the side of the door. I look over my window, and it's Bright sitting there. He's got his little soccer jersey on. I think that was about it. And probably about seven, seven or eight years old. And I said, Bright, man, we're all all going to the trip. Why aren't you coming? And he says in his very thick accent, he says, I do not have the proper dress. I said, What? He says, he says, this is the only shirt I have. He says, I do not have the proper dress. And before he could even finish his next sentence, the bus pulls off. And Bright doesn't get to go to the crusade. Because he had it in his mind, because of his history, that he wasn't dressed well enough to spend an evening with Jesus. And Bright didn't get to come on the crusade. See, friends, we have to imagine a circle of compassion and then imagine no one standing outside of that circle. I was at my sister's birthday party last year and we were in a nightclub, my girlfriend and I, and, you know, we're trying to be like super L.A., you know, we're just like, yeah, you know, chilling and, you know, and so my sister's friend comes over and, you know, it's like, I never wanted to be like this, but I totally understand why pastors never tell people they're pastors when they're in public. Because I'm like, oh, just let me eat. Like, leave you. Come on. So she gets wind that I'm a pastor, and she walks over with her girlfriend. And I can see that she's already combative. I'm like, oh, come on. And so she walks over, and she's like, so, I heard you're a pastor. You know, and I'm like, okay. I'm like, I am. And... She's all, so what do you think about, you know, the homosexual issue? We talked about it for a while. And eventually I invited her to our, to our church. And I just couldn't shake that conversation. And the next morning I went on my run. And literally halfway through my run, I just hit the street. And I am just start bawling, right? I'm just like crying. I'm talking about like disgusting, uncontrollable like, God, I'm just like hide behind a bush right now. This is insane. And it was like something else was making, it was just the weird, I've never, ever cried like that. And for the first time in my life, it was a cry of repentance. And it was a rec- cry of apologizing to God. 
because I remember that girl's face. And I saw the look in her eyes. And I saw how emotionally charged she was. And I saw how much angst she was holding. And I saw that what she was really asking me was not what I thought about the homosexual issue, but was, hey, are you going to tell me that God hates me too? And I hit the deck. And I just started to cry and said, God, I am so, so, so sorry if I've ever made someone, even for a second, feel, think, have an idea, ponder that you didn't love them. That our sole goal as Christians is to proclaim love to the lost. It's to proclaim freedom to those who are captives. It's to proclaim the goodness everywhere we see it. I said, God, I'm so sorry if I ever gave someone an idea that you didn't love them. I'm so sorry. I've got it wrong if I have. I just want to grab him and be like, oh no, he, no, he loves you more than you'll ever know. That's the whole point. He loves you more than you'll ever get. <laughs> we'll, we'll never fully embrace how much he loves us. And as I'm sitting there crying, I just hear God just, he's like, no, he's like, he's like, I love him more than they'll ever know. He's like, just tell him how much I love him. Just tell him how much I love him. And guys, you've got to realize that this Bible is not just a bunch of words. It's God breathed to us. And there's people that desperately need you. There's people that desperately need what you have. You have life inside of you. It says the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is within you. You are the light into the world. You are the hope. You are the change that people are looking for. Christians get so used to waiting for a sign. And I want to tell you that you are the sign that someone's waiting for. You. In your classrooms, in your communities, in your homes. You are the sign. You are the hope. You are the change. One more story and I'll get out of here. You guys doing okay? You want one more story? So, I have a, a friend um, who... Uh, okay, one more story. Right. I have a friend who is my mechanic, but he's also a really, really dear friend of mine. And when I was in high school, I would get my car done from there because I would get, you know, coupons in the mail and go get my oil changed. And so I'd be in there, you know, 15, 16-year-old reading my Bible. And I'd see him, and he'd kind of be looking at me. And the next time I'd go in, he'd say, hey, what are you reading? Okay, I'd tell him a little bit. Next time I come in, he's got like eight of his friends, and they just just go at me, right? Turns out, uh, man, his name's Shakur, and he has recently moved from Afghanistan. He is a devout, devout, zealot Muslim. I mean, it's his life, right? It's all he talks about. I feel like this was just a cover for him to like start a mosque. Like, <laughs> it's, it's everything. So they're sitting there and like, no, man, the Romans put that in. That's fake. And he's like, no, they're trying to lie to you here. And Jesus is not the son of God. He's just a prophet. And they're just going at it, going at it, going at it. And so the next time I go in there, man, I'm like studied. I've read like the top ten ways to like beat a Muslim in an argument. And, you know... <laughs> I'm walking there, I'm like, number one. And like, halfway through, I'm like, oh, God, dang it. So we had that relationship for like a year. And even at the ripe age of like 1920, I saw that this was not a successful model of sharing Jesus with someone, right? Newsflash, right? 
Jesus is better than your God. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Okay. Cool. So, through these conversations, Shakur and I, we just formed a relationship. And so, (laughs) still to this day, you know, he's always texting me, you know, I I think it's funny, but he really thinks like he's really going to like get me one day, but it's not, it's not going to happen. So, you know, he's texting me kind of, you know, his perspective on things. And I'm asking him now questions about his kids, right? Questions about work, his family, man, how you doing? Like, how you feeling? I know business is rough this month. You know, how, how is everything happening, man? How can I pray for you? And so now we just have this relationship. And so, you know, now my girlfriend and I will go over to dinner at his house, you know, once a month or so. And a few months ago, it was during the Ramadan, and literally, you know, I'm sitting here, and I am holding my girlfriend's hand, and we're praying over our food. They bring out the most amazing just platter of every type of food you can imagine. I ate for like six hours straight. Like, it was incredible. And so, yes, more. So... And we're, we're, you know, we're praying to Jesus and we're thanking him for the food. And meanwhile, Shaq's in his corner of the house and he's facing Mecca, you know, praying for his meal. And literally this is happening at the same time under the same roof. And it was just like the most surreal experience I've ever been a part of spiritually of where we could both exist in respect towards one another about our differing faiths. And so at lunch, at dinner, um, Shaq's daughter is talking, and she begins to talk about uh, the troubles that she's having at school. And so she wears a shroud, and she's all completely covered. And she says that the school that she was going to, she's now homeschooled because of where she is at, the boys were pulling her garb off, and they were calling her names, and they were calling her every single name in the book, and don't you know what you did to our country, and don't you know what your faith is, and... And so we had checks that we had to take her out of the school. It was just too hard for her at such a young age. And after dinner, we walked out together. And my girlfriend's playing with their kids. And uh, I have a moment to talk with Shaq. And Shaq says, you know, he says, we've had Christians come over to our house. And they don't even eat our food. Because they are scared that I've put something in it to poison them. And he said, we've had Christians come over to my shop and they won't even talk to me because of how I look and because of how my family's look. And they said, they're just, they're just so scared of us. And he said, the fact that you and your girlfriend would just come over and just talk and have a meal, he said, it is making me reconsider how I feel about Jesus. Friends, imagine that circle of compassion. And imagine no one standing outside of that circle. It's all about love. It's all about Jesus. It's all about living in that wonderful world of freedom. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, uh, thank you for my time with these incredible people. I pray, Lord, that we are like-minded around the idea of spreading your love, seeing more lives restored seeing people unite around that message. And I pray, Lord, that you equip us this week to do that at a higher level. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Genesis Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Mm -hmm.